Well, welcome back to another episode of our SOS Summer Strength Series. I'm your host, Melinda, and this show has all things church. Because this conversation I have today is all about women in the church, racism, church hurt, spiritual abuse, what we learned through the pandemic in our church, deconstruction, all the things. And who better to talk about these things than with Jason Persaud. He's an associate pastor and community leader in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. He's the founder of the Culture Changers Movement uh, that was launched to inspire the church to be a leading voice against injustice, to impact culture with the love of Jesus. Jason believes the church needs to find creative ways to engage with cultural issues to reach people with the good news. His wife, Carrie, is also a pastor. They have two children. And I really appreciated uh, Jason's honesty and humility and transparency as he shared his own journey of deconstruction of his own of the church and his own faith and how he came back, what it took. Uh, we talk about the impact of George Floyd on our youth groups in Canada so much. So you've you got to hear this conversation. It's fantastic. If you are a ministry leader, a church leader, take out your notebook, your phone, iPad, whatever you do to take notes, because this conversation, I know will really encourage you if you're feeling disillusioned and burnt out. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jason Prasad. All right, well, welcome to See, Here Love Summer Strength Series. Jason Prasad, welcome, 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 welcome. I'm so glad that you're with me today. Thanks, Melinda. It's an honor, and I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, well, as just before uh, we hit record on the podcast, uh, it was so funny how, you know, I was telling you how I kind of like got you and chose you to be on the show and <laughs> and how we have mutual friends, but we've never really connected, like sat and said, hey, you know, Jason, hi, how's it going? So this is really neat. I love that when it, when it happens this way where I've heard your name, I've seen you around, but we've never, I think, formally and officially connected and and met each other so i think this is it i guess this is our moment <laughs> you know i think so it's so cool because i think we've been friends on social media probably for a couple years and have uh, yes. you know followed each other in some way and have like you said all the mutual friends but now to come and meet like this is even uh, more awesome so <laughs> great i know it's great so jason i want to just get going on you know our conversation because i'm really interested and i think it will be really beneficial and will strengthen those who are church leaders, church pastors, people in, in ministry, um, because we're really focusing today on on the church and all the thoughts about that. But I, I think I just want to ask you first off, how are you doing? So after two years of the pandemic, and here you are, um, you are a, a pastor. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What's happening <laughs> in your life? Yeah. Um do you know, I think like many other pastors, Melinda, the last two years has been very challenging on a number of different levels, um, family, ministry, uh, personal, and even the sense of transition of just what is going on. And uh, even 
to some degree, some anxiety about just, uh, you, you know, when you hear about other friends in ministry uh, being, you know, like resigning mm-hmm. or losing their ministry roles as a result of finances, all these things begin to plague in your mind. And um, I'm in a little bit of a fortunate situation because uh, our church has really weathered the pandemic uh, with with some stability, um, you know, financially, team-wise. We have a great team. Um, and then, you know, obviously my wife is also a pastor on staff as well. So in the beginning, it was like, you know, what are we going to wow. do if we both are yeah. told that, uh, you know, the church can't a- accommodate. And so our, our pastor and our board really took a step of faith and said, hey, we're not going to um, allow any of the staff to leave. We're going to keep you on. We're going to trust God. And actually the church mm-hmm. increased their missions giving because we knew that there were many other places that were hurting more than us. But uh, dealing with the people exactly. issues, I think, was the biggest challenge, Melinda. A lot mm-hmm. of people were under the weight of the stress and anxiety of what was happening. And that created very long days, even though we weren't in the office. Dealing with the people issues, I think, was a significant weight that we were carrying. That, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. was quite uh, draining. And now here we are, uh, you know, mm-hmm. getting out of the yeah. pandemic. And we haven't seen... Uh, you know, people come back in the droves like we were, you know, post or pre pre pandemic, um, and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm doing okay personally. Uh, you know, I I think okay. having a great pastoral team that really linked arms to uh, stand with each other is valuable. And we're more of a, a mid to medium sized church. We had just a, mm-hmm. you know averaging close to six hundred and a, a good sized team. Uh, with good relationships really helped us weather the storm. And I think today I'm in a decent place. I actually went back to school over the pandemic as well to get my master's. Oh, wow. So I'm just on the tail end of finishing Fantastic. that. You know, but we're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Jason, what would you say? Um, I ask this to a lot of my guests. What would you say that you've learned about yourself and, and God through the pandemic? You had sort of two years and and you say it was draining, but, you know, it's it's great to hear that the church, you know, linked arms and you were strong through it. But what would you say personally, a lesson that you've learned? I think one of the biggest, years? yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things that I learned as a pastor, uh, I would say in the beginning, I struggled with my identity, to be quite honest with you. You get so wrapped up and involved doing ministry mm-hmm you don't realize that your identity gets very intertwined into what you do. And I would say the first (laughs) six months for me were really a time of reflection of just like, why am I in ministry? And I have to be honest with you, Melinda, the first six months, I felt like God was doing this deep work in me. And I realized that there were areas of brokenness in my life that I hadn't dealt with. Uh, you know, there was, you know, like emotional and, and mental things, uh, because in ministry, as you know, you know, there's things coming at you at all, you know, from all ends and there's not time to recover from the disappointment and the hurt that you experience in ministry. You just go, 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 take the hits. And, uh, I'm a visionary. I'm a go-getter. Uh, it's hard for me to slow down and I'm very thankful that it actually um, happened on one end because it caused us to slow down as the church. And it Mm -hmm. brought me to one point where as much as I was doing good on another end, I was having to deal with unresolved things that I think were piling up as a result of 
just the the rigor of ministry that God was saying, okay, I'm going to put my finger on this and we're going to deal with this because when we get out of this, if you still have this, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Wow. You said a lot there. I think I agree. I, I know for many people, I mean, it was tough. I mean, we'll, we'll say that it was tough. There was so much grief and loss and lament and it was hard. People were isolated. And I, I have friends now, Jason, who are still struggling with their mental health because mm -hmm. of this. But I would agree with you. I am a go-getter. I'm a doer. I am, I produce and I go and I make things happen. And this made me really slow down and really for the first time kind of forced pause to say, it's a break. Are you just doing work for me, Melinda? Like God said, are you just doing work for me? Um, because you haven't been with me. <laughs> So you're yeah. doing all the work for me, but you're not actually choosing to be with me. So there's a yeah. problem there, <laughs> Absolutely. right? Like, God, I'm doing it all for you. And they're like, yeah, you're doing all this work for me, but you're actually totally missing me. Like you're missing all the moments with me being with me. Yeah. Uh, and so that actually came really clear, you know? Yeah. Do you that know kind of scares me a little bit, especially when you are in ministry and you're like, but that's what I'm supposed to do. That's and then you true. hear God go, no, actually <laughs> you're supposed to be with me. Instead of doing, 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 doing everything for me, you know, in that way. And I was, that was a really, that was big. Yeah, no, that I, was really big. I, I absolutely agree with you, but I can remember Melinda, it was like the first month that we were in the pandemic where I really felt God just got a hold of me and put his finger on something. I was working out in our basement and uh, trying to scramble like everyone else that loves going to the gym. I, you know, I'm a gym rat, love staying in shape. And I was working out and I was just, just scrolling through social media on Instagram through stories and someone had posted this group called Maverick City Music. I don't know if anyone's heard about them. <laughs> now they're huge. And I yeah. remember going to, on yeah. Spotify and listening to one of their songs called Refiner's Fire. And it was really about God refining our heart. And as I listened to this song, I just began to weep. I, I literally had to stop working out. And I was just on the floor, wow. on my knees, just weeping. And here I am thinking, God, what are you doing in my life in this moment? And I realized that that was the beginning of God beginning to do something deep in me, but I had stopped. And we were in this place of, is the church reopening in the next week or two or, you know, whatever it is, but God got my attention. And that beginning of that journey was, uh, I, I think a life changer for me, just sitting here today, feeling like I'm in a healthy spot but it was good because mm -hmm. it it started all these God moments uh, here in my own home, in my basement, late at night when everyone was sleeping, my you know my wife yeah. and my kids, and God just beginning to slow me down and just say, hey, I want to speak to you. I, I, I want to work in you. I want your identity. I want you to know that I love you for who you are and not for what you do. Mm -hmm. And I think for many of Thank us, you. we get in this mode of, trying to please God and live up to God's expectations because we try to live up to other people's mm -hmm. expectations that we try to measure yes. up. And God just says, hey, I just love you for where you're at and I want to work in you. I want to have this deep communion and fellowship. And now that I've got your attention, here we go. Good. That's amazing. You yeah. know, I say this, you know, I'm obviously just I'm careful because I, I, Again, I do acknowledge that there is a lot of, you know, pain during the pandemic, but I also really believe it. And I'm still processing this. I think there's gonna be a lot of books and papers coming out of the pandemic of what we learned. I mean, through, you know, mental health challenges and things, 
but also what we learned. And yeah, I think for the first time, I mean, the full stop. So I couldn't distract myself with other things. I had to actually be home or I actually yeah. had to be with myself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't run away from myself. You know, I could yeah. go off and do lots of fun things constantly so that I'm, I'm distracted. Uh, so that was really good. And, you know, I've said this in other <clears throat> interviews and on the show, I picked up some things like cooking, which I hated to do and the ukulele and, you know, all those kinds of fun things. Great. But I think for me, honestly, I think, I think God was, I mean, God's always speaking, but I think I, I was listening a lot more closely because I was attuned more because I was, I was quiet and there was space to do so. Uh, there was a lot of space to do so. Uh, and so I think that, I think you're right. I think that's, that's beautiful to hear because I think for a lot of people, there were the, this, these past two years were really life-changing <clears throat> or could have been life-changing if we really listened and, and leaned into it. Um, but I really, I really felt that too. I felt that this, that these past years really changed the way that I see people and things and, and God and community and all kinds of things, you know, that now coming out, just processing a little bit more and and thinking Mm -hmm. deeply and thoughtfully, right? Like there has been definitely a, a, a change and a shift. And so that's really awesome. Um, let's talk about the church a bit now that yeah. we're in a healthier place. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, there's so much, Jason. Uh, let's start with, hmm, one of the things that I'm, you know, uh, my husband and I are, you know, kind of in and, and I've been feeling a little like, oh, you know, my heart is hurting and breaking is whether the pa- pandemic exacerbated it or it's always been there, but it just kind of like came to the top. It's just this lot, a lot of, and I know we use this and we've been saying this for years about the deconstruction of faith. And I think the struggle, it's just hard. You know, I have friends and former and mentors who have completely left or mm-hmm. are in error in process of and deconstruct, but are not reconstructing, deconstructing to go nowhere. It's really hard. And, yeah. you know, there are days I don't know how to deal with it. Um, speak to them, make sense of it or have the words to encourage People are really just like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I, the church is the worst. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if even God exists. And these are people who like were my mentors, were my pastors, you know, were. So I, I feel that there's been great loss and lament um, that I've experienced in that space. And I know that's a lot to say. Okay, Jason, tell me <laughs> how to fix it, what to do. But what, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that because I'm, I'm in that process and still in that, just trying to navigate through all of that, you know? Melinda, you know, it's, uh, I know, I know it's, it's, it's (laughs) a, it's a heavy topic. And I think for me, it's heavy on a number of different, uh, uh, levels. Um, number one, I've had friends in ministry recently that have experienced or are going through through that and issues in the church or having to step down from ministry and um, but I've also been through it as well a number of years ago I was on mm-hmm. staff at a church that in my mind was a financial scandal that they were not honest mm-hmm. with the church they were not honest with the staff the board and the lead pastor and uh, when we were locked out of our building as a result of a mortgage default in payment, 
I was the one that was tasked to call the entire church based on the information that the board gave me, which means when the truth came out, who was going to take the fall? The person that communicated the information to the church. And so for me, uh, when I spoke up about some of the issues or the inconsistencies in the story, um, we, my wife and I became targets of, uh, of, of the church and it experienced some deep pain and some deep hurt and mm -hmm. a lot of accusations thrown at us why we left over a number of reasons in order that they would cover themselves to not make themselves look back. And it's interesting because God had been orchestrating some things where um, the staff actually wasn't getting paid on a regular basis. Like we sometimes had to wait for tithes and offerings wow. to come to get paid. And my wife and I were both on staff and I decided a number of months prior to step out of full-time ministry, but remain at the church as a lay person. And so it afforded us to be able to relocate and move. That's how bad it was. We were, we, we relocated where my wife is from down in the Maritimes with when all the mess really hit, hit the roof. And I actually didn't want to go back to church. I was in a deconstruction mode myself of uh, mm -hmm. serious depression, uh, serious uh, disillusionment. Mm -hmm. And even uh, with the board and with the pastor, like we were friends. We were close. Like we spent time in their home on a weekly basis with their kids and with them. Mm -hmm. And the fact that things would get twisted and turned around. And so for me, when I look at everything happening in the church today, whether it's deconstruction, church, church scandals, or accusations, and all these things, for me, it becomes very personal because I've known what it has been like to walk through uh, false accusations pe with people that mm -hmm. you trusted and you loved and you cared about, and uh, keeping silent and asking God, how how is this going to come to justice? And then I look at even what's happening today on a number of different levels. And I don't need to name the different churches that have made the news mm -hmm. in North America over the last little while. But, uh, you know, it, it causes so much pain and so much hurt. And I think one of the greatest lessons that I learned through my own situation, walking through that and losing many relationships, Melinda, there are people to this day mm -hmm. that even though God has restored us, uh, in ministry and even given us a greater voice than what we have would never believe our side of the story, but would only believe one side of the story. And, and, and so, you know, I'm not saying this publicly on the podcast to make people or the church or the board to look bad. It's just the reality of what mm -hmm. we are, what we walk through. But if I could say anything like this, you know, when you're a victim of uh, working through deconstruction as as a result of church hurt or church abuse or even spiritual abuse, I think what we're looking for is humility and honesty and transparency from those leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, and you know, and I think God brings us on this journey. And I got to be honest with you, I had said to my wife, I said, Carrie, I'm never ever going to go back into pastoral ministry ever again. Never again. And let me tell you the funny thing here, Melinda. When we relocated back to the Brampton area for me to work with uh, a large missions organization where we have many mutual friends of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Youth, Youth for Christ, let me say that phenomenal organization. Mm -hmm. God took, I was with them for six years, and that is really where I began to experience healing from church hurt and spiritual abuse. And I looked at it as, hey, I'm not in pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. I'm in ministry doing what I love 
reaching our community, touching people. And uh, they were a significant part of my healing journey to actually get me back in ministry because I really felt, and I said this to the Lord many times, I can never bring change. I can never make a difference. And just speaking out of hurt and as a way of getting back into pastoral ministry where I've been for the past six years, I've recognized that I can bring change, that I can be a genuine and transparent and real leader. And I think sometimes that we try to protect the image of the church at the expense of people. And I think we need to look at the best interests of the people when they are hurt, apologize, repent, make things right, be humble, and do whatever we can to make things right in order to help people continue on their journey so that they don't deconstruct their faith. Because the reality is, is the church, from what I've talked to people that are deconstructing it, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years, a lot of it is tied to some of the scandals in the church, but mostly church hurt and church mm -hmm. abuse that we have not been mm -hmm. honest about. Just my thoughts. Wow. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Well, and yeah. I think, Jason, that when we're talking, you know, because that's my heart and yours about next generation, I mean, that's why millennial Gen Z are just like, I don't know, right? Because they're hearing the scandals, they're seeing the scandals, they're part of it. Um, they're seeing all the hurt. They're seeing what the church does to hurt people. And I think what you're saying is right on. I mean, if, if we're going to get the next generation, like, you know, our kids are 15 and 18 and they're kind of like about church. Right. I mean, and tons yeah. of <laughs> kids I know and, and, uh, um, you know, millennials, I think, I think that humility and honesty and transparency is, is going to be the, is going to be the key. Mm -hmm. You know, because Absolutely. I think they've seen too many of these sort of like celebrity pastors and then the falls and, the fi you know, financial scandals in the church and just, you know, character issues. And they're just like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. Right. Like, I, and why would you? If I was outside yeah. of the church, I wouldn't either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I sometimes put myself outside. I, I like to kick myself outside of ministry and church as someone who's like, I try to be completely objective and look at it. And there are times, Jason, I'm like, oh, I don't think I would do that either. I, I don't think I would go go that direction either, you know, like, and that's very honest. And so there is, you know, I, I understand why people are where they're at. I think it's just hard when it's like, you can't stay there forever, though. Like, if you're going to deconstruct, you got to make you got to make the decision. I mean, I know process can be long. And but mm -hmm. there are times where I'm just like, okay, you've been processing a long time now. You know, there's got to be a decision made at some point, you know, like, where are you? Who are you following? What are you going to do? And maybe some people are going to process till the end of their life. I don't know. But I think it's just, it is hard, Jason, sometimes just to hear it over and over and over again. And there's no decision made, right? Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. the same things they say. But I, I absolutely agree. I think that's really, thank you for your honesty too. Your honesty and your humility and transparency in that. Because I'm sorry to hear that you went through that. And I, and it's, it's amazing that you're back in ministry after that. It is a miracle that I'm back in ministry. <laughs> well, my wife jumped, <laughs> you know, something, my wife jumped back in the pastoral ministry uh, first. And, um, you know, here when we, when we moved back to Ontario and I, I still had so many issues to work through. There was just so much distrust that I had in the institution of the church and in the leadership of the church. And, mm -hmm. and I have great pastors where we are today. I have, yeah. I have phenomenal pastors, 
but I didn't trust them. And it's not that they weren't good people or trustworthy people. When I looked at the institution of the church and I looked at the politics, and let's just be real, church has politics. We saw that in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Acts had the deal, you know, this is only a few years after Jesus ascended and he sent the church out on a mission. Politics was was right involved and we see that in Acts chapter 6. And so all these different things just were were things that I had to work through and just process. And, you know, and I think there's some things that, that only the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. And every day I had to make a decision to lean into the Lord as hurt as I was, as frustrated, as disappointed, as cynical as I was. And I, I, I gotta be honest with you, I wish Kerry Newhoff had written his book, uh, you know, uh, and talked about sin, you know, being, being cynical years before. I just read Kerry's book mm-hmm. uh, within the last couple of years through the pandemic. And I thought, oh man, that book really could have helped me. But I just became so cynical towards the church because we have institutions in the marketplace that we don't trust. And now the place that I should trust, and I know the church is Mm -hmm. not perfect. The church will never be perfect. Let me just say that to those that are listening. And for us to say, you know, well, well, I just want to go to the perfect church. Well, you're not going to find a perfect church. You know, the church in Corinth was imperfect. And this is within just 20 some odd years of... Uh, you know, Jesus, you know, leaving the earth, it was a, it was a hot mess. The church will never be perfect, as we say, because we're imperfect people. And we can't allow that for us to deconstruct God. I might deconstruct the institution of the church, the culture mm-hmm. of the church, the way the church does things, the, some of the, uh, you know, things that the church preaches and teaches, but there has to be one unmistakable uh, you know, thing is that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that was the thing that held me, Melinda, through my process of hurt and even deconstruction is that I knew that I had an encounter with Jesus when I was 16 years old. He changed my life when I got called into ministry in significant moments. And these are the moments that we need to hold on to as we process our deconstruction in whatever people call it, deconstruction phase is you go back and look, has God been faithful in my life in this moment, in this moment, in this moment? And I couldn't walk away uh, from the pull of the Holy Spirit saying, do you remember this moment? Do you remember this moment? And that helped me stay at least with some kind of anchor as I was feeling like I was sinking at times in my faith journey uh, through that mode of just being hurt, uh, just knowing that God had, that I had encounter with God uh, when I got saved, and baptism, and just these significant moments that I don't have time to talk about today, but that helped me uh, mm-hmm. uh, just sort of navigate those those moments. So my in- encouragement to anyone listening, look back at how faithful God has been in your life in significant moments. It might not be a hundred mm-hmm. moments you could pick out, but are there two or three that you could say, yeah, this was a moment that I journaled or I was at a church service or I was listening to a speaker or listening to a podcast or a worship song. And I know God touched my life there and I had a counter with Jesus. That's good. Now this next question might be a tough one or not, but I think the other <clears throat> challenge for people, and I, I absolutely agree. I think that's really well said, Jason, about you know, de- deconstructing church, you know, the institution, processes, um, all of that, and, and remembering God and 
who he has been and, and has, you know, worked out in your life. And I agree with that. That's really, really good. But I am also hearing from Next Generation, you know, the challenge of church with racism mm -hmm. and gender issues. Yeah. As a young woman, a brown young woman with, with leadership and communication gifting, man, was it ever hard being in the church? Yeah. Because I can't change that I'm brown or a woman, but because of that, in my early experiences, I couldn't lead, I couldn't talk, I couldn't preach, I couldn't even serve communion, I couldn't even pass the offering plate, I could never be on the board. Now tell that to any young girl now, yeah, and they'd be like, are you kidding me? And there have been some people, some young women over the years who, you know, can't believe I stayed yeah. in it because they're like, yeah. that's opposite of what you say for us as when you go to universities and colleges, Melinda, and you speak, when you go to high schools, you know, yeah. um, when you go to youth groups, you, you know, what God has given you in within his, his power through the Holy Spirit, you know, go with the gifting. And when you had young girls who were completely gifted as preachers and teachers and leaders, but in the context, and I know this is a big theological conversation. I'm just saying, yeah. I think we have to be very honest as leaders in the church about that because, uh, it was interesting. My, uh, our daughter, she, it was, maybe she was 13 and I'm surrounded by strong women. I have women around me who are CEOs of companies who are, you know, Ted, you know, TEDx speakers who are leading, like they are boss women all over. And she overheard me talking to somebody on the phone about either a situation, Jason, about how a, some, a woman can speak at the church. Mm -hmm. Okay, or something. Yeah. And afterwards, she's like, Melinda, did I hear that? Like, that, like, wait a second. So you have your own show. You have a yeah. big, huge platform on national TV. You literally speak about Jesus to thousands of people. And you're just talking to a girl that she couldn't speak or lead in a church. Right? Like, so you're looking at the context of a young girl who's girl. surrounded by strong women who love Jesus. And outside of um, the church, we are leading and being light. And she heard that. And actually, I took a moment. I'm like, it's true. Like, I couldn't yeah. lie to her. I said, yeah. There are still churches that, and again, wherever you're at, Jason, I don't know. But I think that's real. I, I think that's something that we have to have conversations about because you've got millennials and Gen Z who, who would not stand for that in in yeah. that just like and and racism racism like so think about them brown it was like all these assumptions about me and so i was blocked in all these areas because of gender and color wow which i'm not changing <laughs> like god yeah. maybe this is who i am and you know i never apologized but man was it hard and i'm wow. glad i stuck with it there are times jason that i was a prodigal daughter and i ran away because i was like you know, for for different reasons in my own identity and things like that. So, but, but there were moments where I'd sit there, I go, wow, because of who I am, I can't do this. But yet I'm, I feel fully called and, and created and, and the gifting deposited in me for this. And yet I can't do it. Anyway, I'm throwing that out too. Cause I just, it's like, because you, you are about reaching the next generation. I think these are really important conversations to have for church leaders, because how do you reconcile mm -hmm. that when you've got, you know, you know, women and men and, and, and people of color who feel that they 
cannot because of this. And that is something that I, I grieve. Like I, my heart hurts because of it. Yeah. And oh, there's my rant no. on to yeah. you, Jason. I know, I know it's big. I'm just, it, well, it's real. It's a conversation that needs to be had. Absolutely. Melinda. I know. And you know, let me just say this. <laughs> I, you know, thank you for continuing and doing what you're doing because your voice is reshaping the way that church uh, needs to be reshaped in order to allow women in general to be involved, more involved in ministry, to preach and to teach and have influence more than they've ever had. And as a woman of color, mm -hmm. uh, a visible minority, it's even more important as well. Now, I'm biracial. My dad is Guyanese. My mom is German. My mom is white. She burns. She doesn't tan, blonde hair, green eyes. And I've grown up in this very <laughs> yeah. unique you know, world of being a multi-ethnic family. Our family is very culturally diverse. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the greater Toronto area the majority of my life. So let's talk about racism first and then let me talk about gender. Yeah. I really believe that if the church is really going to engage the next generation, we need to change. And I just happened to be reading an article yesterday on Rick Warren and just how he's been transitioning his church and, uh, you know, many people don't know he's Southern Baptist and, you know, part of the Southern Baptist Convention and um, a group of churches. And they were one of the first to even ordain women as pastors in their church and caused a huge issue within the Southern Baptist. And there's been this ripple effect. And I think it's one of the issues. Um, I guess I've talked about women first. Let me just talk about this first, I guess. You know, when it comes to women, um, my wife and I have conversations all the time and she uh, you know, she's an engineer by trade, uh, came up through, um, you know, full, full degree going into work in the marketplace. And as a woman had a disadvantage when God called her into ministry, she was, had a disadvantage as a white woman. And so when I look at the challenges that visible minority women have in ministry today, it grieves my heart because it's like the church knows that there's an issue and there's a problem but we're not willing to change. And when I say we, we're part of the church. I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. Mm -hmm. We're not willing to change, even know that we have a problem that we have to address and deal with. And so we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Or if we talk about it, it's in more of private, smaller circles. We don't address the elephant in the room. And it's sort of like racism as well. We know that there's an issue of mm -hmm. racism and discrimination in the church. But yet we don't talk about it. And when George Floyd, let me go back just a little bit. And I'm not trying to get political mm -hmm. here in any way, shape or form. But I really believe that the murder of George Floyd was a turning point in culture. It was a turning point mm -hmm. in young people in yeah. our churches, in our faith communities calling for justice. And the fact that, in my opinion, the church as a, as a whole in Canada was very silent on the issue I know what I had to deal with in my own church with our young people, and I'm involved here in Brampton with our with our Brampton Youth and Young Adult Network and talking to pastors uh, across the city. I literally, Melinda, had a couple youth pastors in our city tell me that their pastor told them that if they addressed the issue, even though the entire youth group uh, was multi-ethnic, mostly visible minority, was told by their pastor that if they talk about this issue, they will be fired. And so they were <gasps> silenced on an issue that young people wanted to talk oh. about. And I realized, Melinda, in mm. that moment, 
I just felt passionate. I actually posted a, a couple of videos on Facebook. The first one was, it's okay to say black. The fact that we weren't saying that, you know, we love the black community. We are concerned about the black community. We, mm -hmm. we believe that black lives matter in, uh, and I'm not talking mm -hmm. or referencing the organization. I'm re I'm referencing the black community in Canada specifically and in North America, that we love the black community, that this grieves our heart. The fact that the church couldn't even say that grieved me. I, I have, uh, you know, my, my sister-in-law is black, my nephews, I got cousins. So for me, I'm hearing this dialogue within family, within the church, mm -hmm. you know, within our communities. And here is the church. We're staying silent. I went to one pastor and I said, how come you're not saying anything about this? And they said, well, we don't want to stir trouble. I said, the fact that we're, are, you know, that you're not saying anything when you're leading a 80, 90% of your congregation being visible minority means mm -hmm. that says to them that, that you don't care about the issue. And so, you know, and this is, this is my theological uh, argument on this, Melinda. In, sure. in, in, in Matthew chapter 15, Mark chapter seven, they correlate together. Jesus mm -hmm. starts off this passage in this argument with Pharisees and religious leaders over inner purity. And so he's having this argument, you know, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? And so Jesus gives them this whole lecture about what purity and inner purity is. And in verse 12, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, do you know that you offended them? And Jesus is pretty much like, yeah, I've offended them. And Jesus goes on this dialogue. Well, we jump a little further down into that passage. Jesus lives, leaves the area of Galilee and goes to a Gentile area, Tyre and Sidon. From the area of Galilee to Tyre and Sidon is about 60 kilometer walk. Tyre, another 25 kilometers to Sidon. And so here we have Jesus taking his disciples, going to a Gentile area, and Jesus encounters this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter is demon-possessed. Number one, we know that Jews, uh, you know, you know, Jews, Jewish men don't speak to women, number one, right? Unless, you know, there's a significant, uh, you know, male from their family there, but a Gentile woman. And Jesus engages this woman in this dialogue. And I, I don't have time to really get into this, but in the end, because of her faith, Jesus heals her daughter. But if we really looked into the cultural aspects of that passage, Jesus crosses religious, ethnic, and culture and gender uh, lines. And so here we go from this argument with Pharisees over uh, inner purity, and Jesus takes his disciples on a 60 to 85 kilometer walk. And we don't have all the details in this, and I, I, I'm not meaning to preach here, but I think this helps shape some things of what we need to deal with here uh, today in the church. Jesus was leading by example to show his, his disciples whose lives were in danger every moment they walked with Jesus, especially into a Gentile mm -hmm. area. And here, you know, we don't, you know, can you just imagine, Melinda, what the disciples are thinking? They're on the 60-kilometer journey thinking, where are we going? Oh, we're going to Tyre and Sidon. What are you talking about? Jews and Gentiles don't even mix. <laughs> and then all this other dialogue begins to happen. And so I I really believe that Jesus was demonstrating absolutely something crucial the church needs to learn today. Sometimes we have to get into a mess in order to begin to sift through the mess and bring clarity of how we are to live as believers and our leading voice as the church. So from the area of racism as, as the church, we need to speak up on these issues. We need to address and say, hey, yes, we have 
allowed a disadvantage and a discrimination towards women in ministry and visible minority women in ministry, and we need to create a platform. And one of the reasons why I started this Instagram uh you know, a conversation space called the culture changers, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I wanted to create space, especially for Gen Z and millennials to talk about issues that matter to them because we're not talking about it in the church. Let me just say this. And, And, you know, go ahead, Linda. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say, and Jason, if we don't, then we're losing whole generations because they'll look at the church and go, you're not talking about issues that matter to us. You're not giving us and leading in these spaces. You're not demonstrating it yourself, your lives. As we watch you, you're not doing it. So why should we follow? Why should we go? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel that. I feel like if we don't, here I am as a Gen Xer, if we don't, then we're, we're going to lose generations because they're going to look at church and go, yeah, like, we're not seeing love. We're not seeing conversation. We're not getting into the mess. We're not try- We're not loving our neighbor. We're not listening to our neighbor. We're afraid. We're pushing back. We're isolating. We're becoming insular, and that's not the church. And like I yeah. said, if I was them and I was looking at the church, I'd be like, I don't. I can find another community that is inclusive, that is empowering, that is brave, that is courageous, that is working to love our neighbor outside of the church. And maybe yeah. that's part of it. I've been seeing people. That, I mean, in in one way, deconstructing, and I think that's good, deconstructing out of the church to find healthy communities where they can love their neighbor in that space, which is what I've always thought, oh, the church should be doing. But on the other side, if the church isn't doing it, then God will continue to work with other people and communities and means to do the work of his to love neighbors, right? Like, Absolutely. if the church isn't going to do it, then there will be other places that, that where God is where God's people can be to do it. And it's, I'm not dissing the church. I'm, I think it's a call out to say, this should be the place, but if not, his people and God will continue to do it. And um, anyway, I say that because I'm, I'm feeling it and I'm like, oh, church, because I love the church. I mean, I was on the board of a very large mega church for eight years and mm-hmm. um, they gave me my first like leadership and voice as a woman because my other church um, couldn't. And so there was a move for me to go to this other church. So I love it. And I'm a missionary kid. Um, And so church was beautiful and a lifeline for us when we were living in Asia, in the Philippines and Singapore. And Mm -hmm. so I I love the church. I'm sad and aggrieved by the church though, Jason, today. And when I say church, there there are definitely churches that are life-giving and are community-based and loving their neighbor. But overall, I'm just... I, I just grieve with the things I'm seeing. Um, anyway, that's me. Go ahead. I know I interrupted you, but I just felt like it's, you know, God will continue to do his work. Yeah. Right. Yes, like, he will. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I wanted you to finish what you're saying. Cause I think, because that's important about racism and, and gender. Um, and if we don't get in, I love that if we don't get into the mess, like it's like, we, we must, we, we can't be silent. No. And you know, Jesus constantly was getting into the mess and, really messing with people's minds. When we look at the cultural, <laughs> no. the gender, yeah. the ethnic, uh, the political spectrum, and, and I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. you know, that we can't be involved in that, but Jesus really was laying a foundation of, hey, in all this chaos, in all this social unrest, and all this mess, as a rabbi and as a leader, I'm going to lead these young disciples. I'm going to lead by example and I'm going to lead in word and in deed, and I'm going to show you 
how to love people. And so that whole passage of Matthew chapter 15 earlier is about inner purity. And now Jesus is leading in what Jesus was trying to paint the picture to his disciples and everyone listening around was that you see her vile, reckless, dirty, worth nothing like the scum of the earth. I see her as a valued member of my family the, the community, the mm. church family. Yeah, I'm just using some common language and terms now. Yeah. You see her as nothing. I see her as everything. She's a part of this family. So I think what we need to do in order to really engage the next generation is we've got to help young people. We know we're living in the most illiterate generation. Uh, Feed, which is an organization in the U.S., did a study in 2020. 75% of Gen Z reads their Bible one time or less per month. Globally, out of 20 countries, 92%. So we've got to help connect the dots to help young people understand that Jesus cared about these issues. Jesus cared about gender, these, these gender lines, these ethnic barrier lines, these cultural issues. And we need to look at how Jesus engaged it and bring it back so we have a good theological and biblical foundation so that they go, oh man, I might deconstruct the institution of the church and the way that the church does things, but Jesus was totally all in to, for justice and righteousness. Actually, you know, in in uh, Philippians, uh, sorry, in Proverbs chapter 31, verse eight and nine, just to just share this one quick passage before I pass it back mm. to you, Melinda, is in verse eight and nine, it, it talks about speaking up for injustice. And I'm gonna just read the message here just quickly. It says, speak up mm. for people who have no voice, for the rights of all the misfits, speak out for justice, stand up for the poor and destitute. That's the message version. So. Here we go right into, just before we go into the virtuous woman, we have these verses squeezed in, and I don't have time to break it down and draw the thread, but we have a responsibility to speak up, to speak out, and to ensure that people get justice. And as the church, whether it's gender or whether it's race or any other issue, we need to make sure that we are a leading voice to, to, to engage the next generation. So because I believe this is dear to the heart of God. Wow. Jason, Jason, Jason. Fantastic. And I think that goes for everything. I think, I think as followers of Jesus, it's, it's the check every time. Like, is this loving to my neighbor? When I mm -hmm. say this, when I write this on social, when I engage in like brutal conversations on social publicly, is this loving? Is it kind? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I mean, and, and again, you know, people are coming to me saying, Oh, the polarization, the divisiveness. It's like, well, if we stepped back and we thought, how are we going to be loving? We may yeah. agree to disagree, but how are we going to be loving? But I also agree. I said, you know, for next generation, I'm glad you have a heart for them. I'm glad that, you know, you're speaking up and, and being with young people. Um, because, I mean, if we don't, then they're going to be learning and, and watching from other places and other people and other influencers. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I think, you know, in, in a way... You know, my journey for my own life, though challenging and hard, you know, people have asked me, would you have changed it? Would you? And I said, no, because I, mm -hmm. you know, through the pain and challenge, I'm who I am today. Yeah. Through the pain and processes where I leaned in more to Jesus and was dependent on him more and, and learned a lot more about myself. And like what you said earlier about how, where God put a finger on some things in your life where you saw brokenness and, and then through, you know, pandemic, there was healing. 
I think that was the same for me in, in this. And so, you know, um, here's the thing though, even though through it, even though there was racism and biases that I experienced and, and, and gender, definitely gender, um, issues with me, I, I, I can say that God never left me, right? Yeah. Like there was always that place where I was hurt and excluded. And yet there is, there is never a time where I did not know and believe and feel that he was with me. And, and then I think that's it, right? Like there was silence. There were times I'm like, God, speak to me right on the wall, do yeah. something. And there'd be silence. And I go, all right, I think you just want me to be quiet and listen. All right, fair. Wow. And maybe in the silence, it's like, Mal, you need to trust and hope, you know, all those things. So I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad that in your deconstruction, you know, you're here where you're at. I think it's really important. And, and you're so much about, you know, helping the church be a leading voice against injustice to impact culture with the love of Jesus and engaging the next generation. Like, Jason, we need, thank you. Honestly, thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so important. I, I, I wish there was more people like you that would be you know, brave enough to, to stand in that place. Coming back to that group of people whose pastor said not to talk about these issues, what happened? What happened? Did they, they did some of them speak up or some did some of them not? They they resigned in a in a short period of time and left. And so really? they, yeah, they just felt that being muzzled and silenced was a disservice to the church, to the you know, dis, you know, disservice to them. You know, one of the pastors was black and one of the other pastors was white. Uh, and so the fact that here's this white youth pastor with a highly visible minority youth group who students are hurting. And Melinda, let me say this. I've been on Zoom calls through the pandemic with parents in our church, grown men weeping and saying we're so broken and we mm. just don't know how to process this. And yet as a pastor, these pastors were not allowed to care for their students in the way that they needed to be cared for, pastored and discipled uh, and through the process. And so, you know, uh, they they moved on to a, a place that would give them the freedom and the ability to truly pastor and care for people in the way that they needed. It, it, it was a shame. Mm. Yeah. Jason, I could speak with you for like five hours. You're gonna have to come back. Because we, we didn't even go into my second part, and I'll okay. save that because I, I think that's a whole other conversation that I'd love to have with you sure. uh, to share about our the whole process of that f for us. But let's yeah. do this. Can you leave with some final encouragement to the pastor and the leader that is feeling all the things that we've talked about? Yeah. Um, leading through all of this and feeling like they're done. They just want to resign and get the heck out of ministry or leadership yeah. and go on a fishing boat out East and, uh, you know, you know, get lobster and crab and then eat scallops and Digby. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that's what we want to do. This is too much. Well, yeah. maybe let's end with that kind of encouragement. Cause I think our viewers and listeners would really appreciate that today. If I could say anything to pastors and leaders that are out there, I know there are many pastors who have felt through the pandemic that there was nothing that you could do right. Nothing you can do right on the issue of racism or discrimination, vaccines and political conversations and all those things and feeling caught. I want you to know that you are called. You are called. And so many times when we go through uh, such turmoil, 
it's easy to question, am I called to this? And I just want to encourage you, uh, you know, know, you know, remember that, or try to remember the day that you felt called into ministry, uh, number one. Number two, you're not alone. I remember when Elijah had his big uh, battle with, uh, you know, um, the prophets of Baal, and after such a great victory, went back and was so discouraged and despondent. And he said, God, I feel like I'm the only one. And, you know, God pretty much encouraged him and said, look, there's many more than just you. And I think pastors need to know that they're not the only ones that are, you're not the only one that is going through it. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that it's just you and you won't make it. There are others. And so a feeling alone uh, is something I think in ministry and Melinda, you know what this is like, you know, feeling alone in ministry, you're not alone. And there's great people like Melinda and Crossroads and other phenomenal organizations um, 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 across the country and even ministerial networks that really want to care. But sometimes being vulnerable as a pastor is hard because we believe the lie that it makes us weak when we begin to share our hurt and our pain and what we're going through. So I just want to in encourage thirdly, uh, you know, pastors, don't be afraid to share your story. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I believe vulner vulnerability and being open and honest will bring healing. And I really believe that it dis dispels the lies of the enemy from making you feel like you're all alone. I believe there's freedom in sharing. And, you know, and I'm not trying to uh, mess or draw the, try to draw the scripture out, but in James it says, confess your sins to one another so you may be healed. I believe that there's healing when we share and we link arms together. So that would be the first, uh, uh, third thing. And then, you know, the fourth thing, you know, would be, uh, you know, Melinda, I, I know you, that you have a heart for pastors and for leaders. I'm sure with your circle of network that you have in relationship, if a pastor reached out to you and said, hey, or DM'd or messaged, see here in love and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I don't know what to do, I'm all alone, I know that you would direct them in the right place. So I would just say, you're not alone, we're here for you. I know see here in love and Melinda and her team, myself, you know, reach out to me if you're hurting and you're broken. I love pastors, I, I love ministry, I love the church, and I believe we need to love each other, we need to lift each other's arms, support each other, and so uh, those are just a few things that I would say. I'm trying not to be overly too spiritual and say, well, pray and read your word, because many of them are doing that already, but I think it's the support systems that are out there, and even get a counselor if you need to. I, let me just say this one thing, uh, Melinda. When I was in New Brunswick, my pastor, the church I'm in now, said, Jason, if you don't go to professional counseling out there, you'll never make it back to uh, back into ministry in any capacity. And I took a chance. It took me four months to accept the mentality that I wasn't crazy because people think, oh, if I go to counseling, professional counseling, then it means I'm crazy. It was the best thing I ever did, Melinda. I became close to my counselor. I did months of therapy and counseling. I just needed an objective outside perspective of someone that could just help me see what I was going through from a different angle. So just some words. And so pastors, we, leaders, we need to know that we love you. You are important to God and you are important to us. Mm, Jason Prasad, thank you so much. And and just to encourage you, um, keep going. We will pray here at See Her Love uh, that you continue to be brave and courageous as you speak and as you lead, as you as you encourage pastors um, and and lead youth. 
Uh, we're cheering you on. I so appreciated your honesty in this. There's so much more that we could talk about. So like I said, you have to come back. But I'm grateful for you and continue to be a voice, even though there's opposition and there will be and there always has been with me and, and you. Um, keep pressing and leaning in. This is the call that God has on you, as you said. And yes. so um, thankful for you in this time and space as you lead and you influence. So thank you so much for being with me. Thanks, Melinda. It's been an honor and privilege. Love this conversation and would love to come back sometime and pick up part two sometime. <laughs> It'd be great. Love you and, right. and appreciate you so yeah. much. Okay. I think we need to take a deep breath <laughs> and process all that was said and what Jason said about the church. I hope for those who are weary, disillusioned, and deconstruction that this was just a, a, just a moment of maybe reprieve and encouragement and inspiration as you lead, um, as you struggle. And I hope for those who have been spiritually abused by the church, hurt by the church, whether it's because of gender or sex or the color of your skin, I, I hope this conversation gave you some encouragement. Um, I hope this will spur you on to have conversations with your friends or in your church group or with your pastor. And I also hope that this conversation uh, will lead you to, to pray and think and seek out what is your responsibility and next step um, as a church minister, as a church leader. How will you speak up against injustice? How will you speak up for women, the marginalized? Uh, how will you love your neighbor and be kind when you're, you're in such a polarized, divisive place? I hope our conversation was strong yet kind uh, because we all need some kindness for ourselves. So as you do, as you heal and as you seek God in quiet spaces and in the summer, if it's your cottage or the beach or a road trip, even though gas is so expensive, or if it's in the quietness on your favorite chair in your house or on your backyard patio or walking your dog, Know this, that in all of this, God holds you and he sees you and he hears you and he loves you so deeply. So like Jason said, if you want to reach out, please reach out to us at seeyourlove.com on our website. Uh, press the hello button. Uh, you can reach out to us on Instagram at seeherelove. You can also reach out to me, Melinda Estabrooks, on Instagram and Facebook as well. And I would love to pray for you in your journey. So thank you for joining us today. In my conversation with Jason Prasad in this series of Summer of Strength with See Here Love. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing See Here Love. You can write to Crossroads, P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R 4M2 or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.